When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abuel Samad. So, my most, uh, I spent the most time today with a a quasi vehicle. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> made by Aaron's. Um, it gets pretty good mileage. It's, it seems to be kind of efficient, uh, but it doesn't go all that fast. So, um, anyway, we're, we're here in New England in the current uh, freakout storm, so uh, I'm lucky to have power. Hopefully it holds this, this out. Is this your snowpocalypse? Uh, yeah, yeah. Everybody's a little freaked out. But, um, yeah, you know... Because, you know, it's, it's January, and, you know, you know, cold weather never happens in January, right? Right. And the thing is, they like they closed the office, they closed um, school. So I'm stuck in the house with the kids, which it it's fine. And, you know, trying to get work done, which is also fine. I'm actually more efficient at home, which is why I'm such a kind of a, a big uh, proponent of figuring out how to get people off the road so that those of us who work in the knowledge economy can work from our homes. Makes a whole lot of sense. Um, but are you with that? It, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Sometimes I even have some knowledge. <laughs> you have to work in the knowledge economy. I didn't say anything about having knowledge. So you're good. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it's just um, I'm a little disappointed because I mean, it was a good sized storm. We got about a foot of snow, and it's getting cold now, so that's fine. They're a little concerned about flash freezes and stuff, but I really like to drive in the snow. Um, I like terrible, awful weather. Uh, so I'm a little disappointed that I've been in, inside. I'm going a little stir crazy. Yeah, well, uh, it, I mean, it's been frigid here for better part of the last two, two and a half weeks. Mm. And, yeah, the few times that I've actually tried to get my dog to go for a walk, you know, it's like we get to about the end of the driveway <laughs> and, you know, she starts lifting her paws up. It's like, no, I don't want to go any farther. This is far enough. <laughs> Let's you, go back inside. Do you have booties for her? I mean, no. And the funny thing is, I mean, she she usually loves winter, you know, because you know she's a corgi and she's got a pretty thick fur coat. Yeah. You know, but for you know, it's been particularly cold the last couple of weeks and just, you know, too much for her. So, you know, just exercise her indoors. Yeah, it has been uh, kind of nasty. I had to um, it actually boosted the, the Crown Victoria's battery the other day because you know, when it when it gets cold like this, I start to feel guilty and think like I should run it. It's been a week of single digits and I went to start it and it was it was a little slow stirring that big <laughs> engine. So and then the battery's not that old, but uh, I gave it a boost. Yeah. So yeah, it, I got it. I got to go out and start the Miata and let it run for a bit. It, it's on a battery tender, but uh, need to circulate the fluids. Yeah. Yeah. So 
in that right. you know in that sense uh we can talk about the cars we have been driving <laughs> oh yeah yeah th- th- those um which uh, you know i didn't actually get to drive it too much today and it was like a perfect day for it but you've you've had the elantra gt sport which is that's the five door elantra yeah. Right. The, so the the GT is the the hatchback Elantra that um, it's now what I think in its third generation in the North American market, um, and uh, you know this is the one you know is pr- primarily designed for the European market where you know they 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 like cars with um, you know hatchbacks and. Uh, the, you know, this is, you know, a relatively small share of Elantra sales in North America. Uh, but I think it's a it's a it's a really good um, uh, variant of the Elantra. It's, it's actually my, my personal favorite. I think I think it it's the best looking, uh, especially in the its new current form. Uh, although I did I did really like the previous generation as well. I thought it was a pretty cool looking compact hatch. But um, yeah, the the new uh, Elantra GT launched uh, a few months ago here in North America, and it's available with two different powertrains: um, Hyundai's uh, naturally aspirated two-liter four-cylinder and the 1.6-liter turbo uh, that they use in the Veloster and in the Kia Forte SX and uh, several other vehicles. Um, and it's all it's actually also used in a lower power version in cars like the uh, uh, Sonata Eco. But uh, for the GT Sport, the Elantra GT Sport, it's rated at 201 horsepower, uh, paired up with a seven-speed DCT. And it's, it's a really nice combination. You can also get it with a six-speed manual. Uh, but I think I think it's a it's a really good combination with the dual clutch transmission, um, and you know works really nicely. It's got paddle shifters, uh, you know, so you can you, know, you can use it. You know, it shifts really quickly, uh, but still has nice nice smooth shifts. Um, it you know if you put it in sport mode, you know, tightens up the steering a little bit. Um, the the GT uh, Sport has a multi-link rear suspension instead of a beam axle, uh, so it handles quite well. It's got you know good ride quality, and it's it's really surprisingly roomy. It's 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 a very impressive little car. Yeah, I mean, it kind of follows on the praise we gave the Accent last week. You know, it, it seems that every Hyundai has this knack for just offering that that extra bit of value they've figured it out right they to make the car you know roomy for its class and a a great value they all look pretty good inside and out um you know i'm looking at it it, to me it's most direct competitor is a golf um how do you think it stacks up yeah, no, I think it stacks up really well against the Golf. You know, the the GT Sport, you know, is not quite as powerful as say the um, GTI. Uh, you know, as I said, it's only about two hundred and one horsepower. Um, but I think overall, you know, it, it's probably a really good competitor for uh, for the Golf. Uh, you know, especially you know having you know been a, a VW owner a couple times <laughs> over now. Um, you know, I'm my my guess is that you know this will probably be more reliable than the average uh, Volkswagen product. Um, so you know, I think you know you get a you get a, a really good driving experience. It's really refined, and 
it, you know, I think it's going to be pretty reliable. You know, I think it, I think it's going to be a really good option for customers as an alternative to to a golf. You know, you get you know all of the same kinds of positive features. You know, of a of a golf. You know, in terms of um, you know its driving dynamics and you know the the roominess. Um, you know, I think it's just a really good choice overall. You know, for somebody that's looking for something, you know, that that wants some utility, but also wants something that's going to be fun to drive, uh, sharp looking, and um, you know, doesn't want a crossover. Uh, and you know, that's somebody like me. You know, and right. if you, you know, if you're you know, I think you know where where it stacks up really well is if you compare it to something like the uh, the Honda Civic hatchback. Um, you know, and I, you know, the Civic's a great car, and you know, I mean, you know, <laughs> you I, own I, one. <laughs> yeah, you know, we own one. Uh, but you know, the the styling, the design, you know, can be kind of polarizing. You know, it's it's a pretty aggressive design, and you know, certainly, I think there's a, there's a lot of people who would probably not be inclined towards it just because of the way it looks. Uh, you know, and I think the uh, the Elantra, get, you know, is a really good alternative for somebody that wants you know a car in that size class that that drives a lot like that, uh, but you know, wants something you know that's uh, perhaps a little a little more restrained looking, um, you know, not, not that it's boring looking, but just, you know, not, not quite as aggressive as the civic, uh, especially the hatchback. Um, well, and uh, is it, it, Oh, go ahead. You know, the, the interior is really nice as well, you know, and unlike the civic, um, the, it does have uh, volume and, uh, tuning knobs, rotary knobs for the, for the audio system, which is, uh, always a plus. Um, and you know, the, the Elantra GT has a different, uh, interior from or different dashboard design from the sedan. Uh, it's the first of Hyundai's newer models that, you know, has adopted a look that's getting increasingly common with uh, the center display screen. Instead of being embedded in the, the the center console, it sits up high, you know, on top of the dash, uh, you know, kind of like a tablet style design. You know, so it's up closer to your line of sight when you're looking at the road. Um, and, you know, it's uh, it's still a touch screen. Uh, and it's it's within easy reach. But, you know, you've got uh, knobs, rotary knobs for the volume and tuning as well. Yeah, and I, I was going to comment on that because I I don't like the way it looks. Although it's hard to argue the with the, the that screen, the Elantra oh, itself okay. overall, I think it looks great. It's a nice. They they've got their styling thing down. They stole some really good designers from other automakers, and and that thumbprint is on everything they do. And um, that was it was a great move. The cars look really good. In the past, I think Hyundai Kia vehicles depending on which they were had actually, they were farming out the styling. So some of them might've been styled by Jujaro. Um, and then, yeah. you know, some of them might've been styled in-house or, you know, by different, different firms for, for hires. And they've, they've got that actual like car styling thing down inside and out. Their stuff looks great. Their ergonomics are good. Whoever's choosing the materials and the packaging and all of that, they're doing a bang up job. That dash screen, I'd, I understand the functionality. I hate the way it looks tacked on and it, it, it just bugs me. It, off it offends my delicate sensibilities. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, there's not an alternative. There is nothing delicate about you, Mr. Rock. Oh, excellent. Fantastic. Um, yeah, there's, there's really nothing uh, you can do that's, I mean, you can make the dash higher, but then you lose 
it's sort of that visibility outward, you know? So, yeah, you know, I, I think, you know, you're right. You know, all of these, you know, current crop of vehicles that have the screen mounted up high like that, you know, they, they all, they, they always tend to look a little tacked on. Um, and that's, you know, that's just, you know, inherent in the, in the nature of it. And as you say, you could, you could, you know, bring the, the dashboard up and kind of wrap it around. So it looks more integrated, but you know, then, it also you end up feeling more feeling even more like you're sitting down in the car, right? You know, with especially with the dash in front of you like that. You know, you feel like you have this giant barrier in front of you. Um, you know, whereas you know having it you know kind of fall away around it like that and basically just have the screen and the instrument cluster you know up higher like that. Um, you know, gives you a more open, airy feeling, you know, so it, it, it feels roomier, um, you know, which I, I'd prefer. And I'm, I'm willing to tolerate that, you know, that kind of tacked on look of uh, the screen uh, in order to get those other benefits. Yeah, I, it, it, there's nothing we're going to say that's going to dissuade anybody from doing it anyway. Um, if they wanted to make the dash higher, it would be nice. I mean, that Saab 900 aesthetic really pleases me i like that <laughs> um, but it's not for everybody uh and there's there's also no getting around the fact that the screens are going to be integrated in the cars so given the choice between the two of them uh having it less conspicuous sort of more down low and more integrated into the design i think it looks better it operates worse at least this way when you're distracted by the screen you still got your peripheral vision to sort of watch the road <laughs> Mm -hmm. you know which is the point of putting it up high um right. you know i and, and you know what one thing i i do give uh hyundai credit for 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 doing really well over the last several years um is whoever whoever they source their their displays from um you know they've gotten they've gotten really good displays that uh are you know where glare is not a problem um you know they're they're you know, there, there, no, you know, there's very little glare. You know, even when the sun is shining in, you know, from the from the side, from the worst angles or whatever, they're still very visible, which is, you know, I think, you know, really important. And and they, you know, uh, looking at the screens with polarized sunglasses is never a problem, as it has been in uh, cars from certain other brands at that similar price points, uh, who will remain nameless. Um, but uh, you know that that they. You know, if you've got to have a screen, at least I think, you know, they've executed it well. Yeah. And I think overall, that's one of the things that I give Hyundai points for uh, with their whole lineup. It's just they're nailing execution. Um, you said it was refined. Uh, can you expand on that a little more? Like what makes you feel that it's refined? Is it quiet? Is it, you know? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's quiet. It feels solid. Um, you know, the, the materials are you know, they, they feel good. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel cheap. Um, you know, in terms of the, the controls that are there, uh, it's not, I mean, you know, it's got, you know, all the features you would expect and actually, you know, it's got plenty of features, you know, at this price point, you know, the, the one I'm driving is, um, a loaded model, uh, you know, pretty much maxed out with the, the technology package and, and that's the sport with the automatic transmission. It's about 20, just over $29,000, uh, delivered, which, you know, is, is not cheap, but you know, it, it feel you know, it feels, um, it feels really well put together, um, you know, there's no squeaks and rattles. Um, you know, ev everything looks 
relatively upscale. You know, so it's vi- it looks good visually, but it also feels good to the touch uh, when you touch stuff. You know, and it's got features like you know, there's a wireless charging pad. So if you've got a phone that that supports that. You know, that's right in the, the bottom of the center stack ahead of the right. uh, the shifter. And, Good luck getting uh, that in your Volkswagen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, actually, I think they are starting to put that in some of the models. Are they the really? Models. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that's that's becoming increasingly common. Uh, but, you know, things like the seats are really comfortable and supportive. Uh, it's very roomy uh, inside. And, you know, especially on the Sport uh you know, it's um, you know black uh, black leather uh, with red uh, red contrast stitching. You know, it it looks you know it looks like a it looks sporty. You know, and it it looks um, you know like a little more upscale than what you would expect of a Hyundai Compact. Good. I mean, and it should for thirty thousand dollars. But the thing is, too, that's one of the things when I looked at the i drove the elantra sport and i thought it was great i did miss the fact that it you know it it was it had a trunk versus the hatch i wanted the hatch um and the 1.6 like you're saying it's not as powerful but it also starts much cheaper than something like a gti and so like the natural comparison is the golf gti lineup just because it's this benchmark for for driving dynamics and packaging efficiency and just it it's that's a hard car to beat and that's why it gets recommended so much um by enthusiasts to enthusiasts uh but the power deficit is sort of offset by the the price difference and so and you know two 200 horsepower you know and it's, it's no a torquey tor- engine yeah you know, uh it's there's nothing really to complain about yeah you know it, it might lose out in a drag race to a gti but it's still plenty fun to drive. Yeah, oh, I, I can see that. Um, I enjoyed my time with the, uh, and I had the manual in the uh, Elantra Sport. So I. Yeah, I've, I've driven them. I drove the manual uh, a few months ago when they did uh, a media drive here, you know, spent a couple hours driving the manual. And I've, I've driven the 1.6 turbo manual combination previously in the Forte. Um, so, you know I, know, I know that that's a good combination as well. Uh, but I think, you know, for the, the reality is, you know, as much as you and I, you know, prefer uh, automatic tra- or manual transmission. Right, I was say, you know, the, the, re- <laughs> the reality is, you know, most Americans are, are you know, don't. You know, most Americans are going to want an automatic, and I think that this is a really well executed automatic. You know, the Hyundai's seven-speed uh, dual clutch is is a really good transmission. You know, I've never I've never had any real complaints about this gearbox. All right, so it sounds like you've been uh, rather, relatively impressed. I mean. Um, yeah. I, I we're just going to have to get Hyundai to start sending us checks as much <laughs> as they send us cars, because it seems like we really enjoy their cars quite a bit. And it's it's quite a change from the days of the old. Uh, the, oh, yeah. The old Elantras and stuff. Uh, not old. Uh, the well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm old enough, you know, to remember back when Hyundai first came to North America before they launched in the U.S. market. They were in Canada for the, several years. The pony uh, in, the, in the early 80s. Yeah, they launched there with the pony. Um and then uh, introduced the first generation Sonata, um, both of which um, were were quite popular in those early years in Canada, solely because they were dirt cheap. I was going to say Canadians really like cheap cheap cars, especially yeah, well, from I mean, what they, I hear they in also Quebec. Went for Lottas for a long time too. So, oh, we, I I mean, now that they're over twenty five, we're starting to see this giant love affair with the Lottas, especially the Neva. Here in the U.S. Oh, no, the, I mean, those, those were crap, and they're you know they're still crap. But, uh, <laughs> but they look neat, and they're different. 
yeah. yeah the uh, the original Hyundai Ponies and the uh, the the first generation Sonatas were uh, were not good cars. I'm trying to remember if that first generation Sonata in Canada was the same as the first gen Sonata we got here in the U.S. back in. No, it was not. Okay, so we got the we only started with the second gen Sonata. Yeah. Okay. And uh, and that one didn't do so well either, but it was cheap. Yeah. But now. But now, you know, now, you know, for the last, you know, 10, 10 years or so, you know, Hyundai's been offering, you know, I mean, they've, they've always had good value. I mean, you know, after the first several years in North America, especially in the U.S., um, when they had a lot of quality issues, um, you know, they really took it, you know, got their quality act together. Um, they still weren't very good cars to drive. But, right. you know, they were built a lot better and they had better warranties. Uh, and then, you know, over the last 10 years, they've, they've really made them much better cars overall you know so now you know they're still you know they're not as cheap as they used to be obviously but you know they're still a reasonable value and you know you get you get a lot at the price points you know whether whether you're buying you know an entry-level uh hyundai or a genesis you know or anywhere in between uh you know you you get you know pretty good uh pretty good set of features at whatever price point you're at and you know they're decent cars to drive, and they look good. And you know, I I would have no hesitation recommending them to anybody. Yeah. So there you go. There's our sales pitch this week for Hyundai. Next <laughs> week, I might be in a Hyundai, and we'll do it again. Um, but, right. but this week, I've got an appropriate snowmobile. I've got a Challenger Absolutely. GT. Oh yeah. I mean, what could be better than a four wheel drive Challenger in a in a winter storm? So I went to the launch event last year. Um, that they held uh, up in, in Maine and we went out to, to a track in, in nearby New Hampshire uh, to try it out. I will say it's a hell of a car in the snow. It's really, really good, even on all-season tires. It, it was hard yeah, to was, get it That was going to be my next question. Did, they, did it come on all-seasons or winter tires? I'm pretty sure it's on its standard all-seasons. Um, I, I only got it the other day, and it, I got it on Tuesday it sat in the driveway all day today. I moved it a little bit to to um, get the snowblower around it. But uh, from my experience before with the Challenger GT in the snow, it's pretty hard to really get yourself in trouble with it, um, it even on those all-season tires. So that that impressed me. Maybe it's because of that road-hugging weight. I, <laughs> I I don't know. But it's I I like the Challenger anyway because it's one of the last sort of personal luxury coupes. It's not really super luxurious, but we don't have the Thunderbird anymore. We don't have the, with the Monte Carlo or whatever. Uh, it's really the sort of well, the coupes in general. I mean, you know, even, even by car standards, I mean, coupes are, are a dying breed. Yeah. You know, two door coupes, um, you know, with, there's, there's not many left and those that are around, you know, are selling in smaller and smaller numbers. Yeah, and it's it's a shame because it's it's nice. You know what what's I like about it is a it's a big coupe, so it's it's roomy and comfortable. It it'll cover miles comfortably. You know you don't. Uh, it's not a a real sort of fatiguing car to drive. Uh, it has a decent trunk. You know it it, it yes, it's heavy um, and it is physically large. But so there's there's two sides to that coin. It also handles pretty well though, even. Even the GT, which is, you know, certainly not the, you know, high performance suspension or anything, but it's it's a solid car and it always has been. And so it 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 drives well. 
Um, but is it a V6 or V8? It is the the, the all wheel drive Challenger is V6 only. I think it's 305 horsepower from the Pentastock, okay. and they they used a bunch of um, like police heavy duty suspension pieces uh, when they did the package up. So it's it's kind of like they raided the parts bin for a bunch of stuff, and voila, new model. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's a good car, and yeah, FCA is good at that. Yeah, they're really good at it, and Especially they have the Challenger. They they have a decent you know bin of parts to choose from, even though the platform's you know kind of aging. It's aging very gracefully. Uh, I, I guess surprisingly so. Yeah, if you like it. Uh, if you don't like it, I don't think there's anything I could say that could convince you otherwise. It's just not your thing, and that's that's okay. Um, but I can see the charms, and I really like it. I like the sort of cozy feeling because it has a low roof, but not as low as something like a. A Camaro or a Mustang, so it's roomy, but it doesn't feel claustrophobic. But it also feels, you know, snug enough that you feel cocooned in this this uh, sort of personal transportation pod. I don't know. It's 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 definitely a sort of retro driving experience, but also modern where you want it to be. I, I'm not doing a very good job sort of <laughs> explaining the balance, but. I I like the Challenger, and it's it's a comfy place to drive through a snowstorm. <laughs> and, uh you don't really there's not a penalty you pay for having all-wheel drive other than you can't get the v8 with it if you want the v8 um but the, the v6 has plenty of snort it doesn't feel like a slow car yeah well i, I mean you know if you really want all-wheel drive and a v8 in this platform you can get it in the charger you can get an all-wheel drive v8 char- a hemi charger yeah um, so, you know, that's, that's always an option. I, I do wonder if FCA is going to sort of use that powertrain to just pull another rabbit out of its hat with this car. Cause it doesn't seem like it's going away anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> anytime there's a rumor that the LX is dying, it's like, yeah, okay, whatever. This car's going to be with us till like 2050. It's, it's, it's the B52 of, uh, of, uh, cars. I mean, that, that's fine. It's about the same size. If we can get one with some some jet engines in it, that'd be okay too. Um, no, I mean, I don't have. It's not a new car in that sense. Right? It's it's a it's a model we're all familiar with. So, a lot of the kinks have been worked out. Um, there's not a not a not a ton of surprises in that sense. Uh, it's a Challenger. It's a good car. We it's a known quantity. Um, it does it overall though what i get is the sort of lament like gosh i wish there was more choice in coupes um if you want choice in coupes you you really do you have to go up to the luxury uh you know to the premium playground for that you know you can get bmw yeah, and mercedes ba- yeah you know you, well you got you know the audi a5 s5 right uh, the uh, mercedes has the c class coupe and the e class coupe and the S and the E class coupe is fantastic. It's just very expensive, <laughs> right? Well, it, you know, all of them are. Yeah, you know, and and BMW's got the the four series and the six series. You know, and that's that's literally about it. I mean, there you know, there's really no other coupes. You know, under a hundred thousand uh, dollars from Europe. Yeah, so I mean, that's what that's I mean, that's FCA's uh, sort of and. You know, the, and, and it's, it's, it's weird, you know, even as long as the Challenger has been around, you know, largely, you know, unchanged, they just keep tweaking it, you know, and adding new, new things here and there, a little more power here and there. Um, you know, they, they still managed to sell, you know, almost 65,000 of them last year. 
Well, um, which is just shy of the sales numbers for the Camaro. You know, Camaro was about 68,000 last year. Right. So I, what does that say? I think it, it says a couple of things. It, they nailed the styling and they, mm-hmm. they do, they do keep tweaking that. Um, it's a, I think it's a great looking car. Uh, it certainly has presence. And I think 60 something thousand people also think it's a great looking car. Um, th- there's also, uh, a good amount of aggression, to actually move the iron. <laughs> yeah. So this the sales apparatus does a very good job putting people in the cars. Uh, and and so, yeah, I mean, that's that's a whole automaker worth of volume for uh, uh, one model. Um, you know, I don't think uh, I don't think Lincoln would be unhappy with selling 68,000 cars of a single model. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I can't remember the last time that they sold that many of anything. Right. Uh, you know, it's it's been a long time since they sold that many. You know, and certainly, you know, that's uh, that's more than uh, any single model of Tesla. So, right. Is our so 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 clearly America wants Dodge Challengers more than they want Teslas. I think um, America is being sold Dodge Challengers more. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, I mean, it's it's true. Like, there's there's a lot of dealers. There's people who need cars. There's um, debt is cheap, so you can you can get yourself financed or leased um, pretty easily. And and uh, you know they they need to move the iron, so they they will do that. Uh, and, and well, and you know, I mean, the, the Challenger. You know, I mean, it, it, again, you know, like anything now, you know, it's and next week um, we'll we'll t- or uh, the week after. Um, we'll be talking about a, a, one of the vehicles that's going to be introduced at the Detroit Auto Show. Um, I, I was at a preview of it today, um, and you know, a big part of the reason why this this new model exists is because of pricing. You know, and the the creeping, you know, the the, the continuous upward creep of prices, you know, on new vehicles. You know, the average transaction price. You know, nowadays is about thirty. You know, it's, I think it's a little over thirty-five thousand dollars now. Um, you know, and so that's it's becoming harder and harder to afford a new vehicle. Yeah, which is no wonder that uh, you know, certainly you know, uh, leasing's a big deal. But you know, having having cheap uh, cheap interest rates, low interest rates, you know, certainly helps to make it affordable, uh, at least from a monthly payment standpoint. But yeah, and and. You know the Challenger is pretty, you know, pretty re- available at a pretty reasonable price. You know, starts at about twenty-seven. Yeah. Uh, how much was your GT? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. I didn't look at the Monroni, but the the sticker for the Challenger GT, I think, like its starting point is. Looks like it starts at thirty-three-four. Like, it doesn't. Is it that high? I yeah. thought it was thirty. Um, it, it's it's very well equipped for its price. This one's probably pushing forty. It might have some options. Um, but it's it's not a it's not a super expensive car. Uh, what it does work out to though, like sort of the average price for any car is thirty five thousand dollars. Um, think about that. You don't put any money down. Uh, you have a what like a sixty month or a seventy two month um, loan. That's like five or six hundred bucks a month. That's that's a lot of dough <laughs> for a car. Yeah. Um, man, unless you get one of those now super extra long-term like 120 month <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think 
I think the the long you know the longest loan general loans that you can get in the U.S. for a car is about eighty four months right now. I don't think anybody's doing longer loans than that. Although in Canada, I, I hear that they are doing ninety six months loans say, now. I, I've seen ninety six, but it might have been something from Canada where yeah. Uh, Although there, you know, there may be some banks that are offering, you know, some independent banks that are offering ninety-six month loans. But from the the captive finance arms of the the car yeah. makers, you know, there no, I don't think anybody's doing longer than eighty-four months right now. I mean, eighty-four months is a long ass time to be tied to one car. You, yeah, I mean that's seven years. You, yeah, yeah, especially you, to be making payments on it. Better be buying something that's going to hold its residual value. Right. Everybody should buy Wranglers. <laughs> 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 or or uh, uh, 1981 uh, Volvo 262Cs. Right. Oh, but if you're Casey List, you should never, ever buy a Wrangler because that's what we said. Don't <laughs> don't go back. You should ride a bike. Uh, anyway, yeah. So yeah, we, 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 we had a long chat with Casey uh, yesterday over Slack. Um, he he it is continuing to uh, uh, toy with the idea of getting a, a Jeep Wrangler. And uh, Dan and I are... are really trying to dissuade him from that from that folly i mean i like everybody loves the wrangler but a speak for yourself casey has a two mile commute casey should ride a bike exactly um, or a walk Um, and it's not like he lives somewhere like boston or detroit where they have real winters right he lives in virginia they just have like the only thing they're worried about in virginia is nuclear winter because they're like a target (laughs) sorry got a little dark um (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. Let's All talk right. about uh, the 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 two sixty two C you mentioned because that's fun. Um, yeah. So um, the the late David Bowie apparently at at some point in his life uh, owned a nineteen eighty one Volvo two sixty two C, which for those not familiar with that car um, was a coupe. Uh, you know, it was based on the the two hundred series. Uh, you know. Back, you know, built back in the uh, originally came out in the around 1980, I think. The 262 debuted. Well, so the 2 Series debuted in 75 and the 262, I think, debuted in 77 and they built it until 82 or 83. So they'd take a 262, which had the full size roof and they'd send it to Bertone and Bertone would chop the roof, put a vinyl top on it. Bertone, I'm sorry. And they put a very pimpy interior in it and um, the the tiny steering wheel with a little crown on it, which I think I I had that or a GT wheel in my 245. I forget. Um, But yeah, it had a one inch smaller wheel and had the the 262 had the V6. It had the PRV. So uh, it was the B27, which ate its camshafts. Um, So I, I hope David Bowie didn't have cam trouble with his 262. Yeah, I mean, it, it, for for a Volvo of that era, you know, it was, it was very it was expensive. Yeah, it was, it was expensive and it was also very different looking, you know, I mean, it was, um, you know, it was the first, um, how should, you know, uh, r- r- vaguely stylish Volvo since the P 1800. It was, you know, yeah, um, it was weird looking. It was one of those things that you'd see uh, when I got into Volvos, you'd see it in yards and be like, Ooh, Yuck, that thing's gross. And now it's a cult thing, but they were always ugly. I, I remember seeing this thing, you know, at the Toronto Auto Show when I was growing up. And, um, you know, when it first came out and I remember, you know, thinking it was 
you know, of course, I, you know, I was a child then um, and thinking it was kind of cool looking. But, you know, looking looking at the photos of this thing now. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, so I, I have to think. say, like, it fits, though, when you think about David Bowie. My first thought was like, well, of course, if David Bowie was going to own a Volvo, like this is the Ziggy Stardust's Volvo. But by 80, 81, 82, that was Thin White Duke. And I can see it even better is like the Thin White Duke in the black 262C. Like it makes, makes yeah. sense. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, so uh, apparently, you know, apparently it only since 1981, it's only accumulated 33,000 miles. Yeah, it's, uh, it's in beautiful condition. Yeah, and uh, it was sold at auction last month in Switzerland uh, for $216,000. Uh, it was dollars or francs? I for, uh, It says dollars here in the story from Automobile Magazine. All right, well, we'll, we'll take Automobile's word for it. Yeah, I mean, it's it, that's the most money a 262 is ever going to go for. I mean, it, it, this one is, is super optioned up. I mean, it has all the stuff that I scoured yards for in my own 245. It has the full... Uh, 52 millimeter gauge package that stretches across the the instrument hood. All the um, the GLTs and the turbos had that. Has the rear fog lights that's over by the the headlight switch. Uh, has the microprocessor controlled stereo tape deck. Um, <laughs> uh, sadly, it has a BW35 automatic or BW55. I forget. Uh, oh wait, hmm. By this time, it was an AW70 71. That's a good transmission. It's just Is that an Ison. Uh, yeah, Ison Warner. Yeah, um, I th- think uh, it might be a three-speed though. I can't remember. So if it's a three-speed, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> if it's a four-speed, it's an AW, and it's a good transmission. Not that anybody needs to get that geeky. It. I mean, and I've softened too. Uh, my initial sort of abhorrent reaction to the two sixty-two has softened over the years. Like I think they're neat now. Um, they're kind of a curiosity. Um, but really, if you want a Bertone Volvo, I'm going to pronounce it right from now on. Uh, get a 780 because that's the that's the pinnacle. Yeah. Um, but it's you know it's funny the reason I brought this up you know is because last week we had the conversation with uh, Larry Velaquet you know about the the end of collector cars, and you know you got to wonder you know if you know ten years from now you know if a car like this you know or you know, even if it even if it was the, the exact same car in the same condition, if it had not if it if not for the fact that it had originally been owned by David Bowie, would this car, you know, in this condition be worth anywhere near this kind of money? No, I mean, and 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 just because it was it was owned by Bowie, why why would you care that much about it? I I don't know. I mean, I think part of it too is, are you gonna what are you going to do with it? Are you going to put it in a museum and say like, look, that's David Bowie's car. Very soon. There's going to be people like David who there already are. Um, so it becomes a conversation piece or it just becomes a car. You drive it. It is in lovely shape. Just looking at it. It's, it's in beautiful condition. Um, and two forties. I just being an enthusiast, a Volvo enthusiast and a, a former two forty owner, I've sort of kept an eye on prices. It's one of the things that we talk about two forties, have attained this status where clean ones are commanding a premium price, especially wagons. Um, but it, it's but how, how much of a premium? It's, it's right. It's like the, 
I would st- I would have a hard time arguing that like look if you're gonna find a super clean rust free 245 with a manual for ten thousand dollars like and low low miles you, you can't restore it for that price so if you can swing it you should buy it um, if that's what you want to do and that's a really high price for that car. Um, well, I just did a quick Google search and um, yeah it looks like you know 1980s and early 90s 240s are going for. Between uh, two thousand and, and between two and four thousand dollars. Although yeah. there there is a nineteen ninety two forty wagon here with fifty nine thousand miles that somebody's asking twenty grand for. Right, that's insane. Um, <laughs> it's in it, San Diego. It, right, it's a low miles car. It's from a, an area that doesn't really, you know, cars don't see salt there, so they don't rust. And one of the things the two forty does pretty well is rust. Um, it's it's not quite as bad as other cars, but it's a European car from a you know, a handcrafted era, shall we say. So it's not as impervious as later models. Um, 740s rust a lot less. But it, it's it's never going to be... They built 2 million of these things. It's never going to be as valuable as this one is. And this one is only valuable because of mania. It's This is not an actual... Like, it's not a hundred-something thousand dollar, two hundred thousand dollar car. All right. So enough... <laughs> Enough, <laughs> enough of that nonsense. Um, speaking of winter driving, uh, you know, you're uh, you know, you're probably as much of an expert as anybody. I am a fantastic field. winter driver. I I enjoy it. I'm so, a legend in my own mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, that goes without saying, right? But uh, <laughs> you know, as 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 we record this, you know the the northeastern United States or you know a good chunk of the eastern seaboard, I guess, really, you know, is getting hammered by this massive winter storm. You know, basically a winter hurricane, and um, um, you know, dri- you know, driving in wintertime, you know, for those who who live in California, you know, is you know you think. Ooh, why, you know, this is not a big deal. I mean, who, who cares? I mean, but the the reality is, it's a very different experience from driving at other times of the year. You know, you've got you know things like low traction to deal with, right? Poor visibility, and the cars cars themselves, you know, perform very differently when the temperatures drop. Even if there's no snow, you know, there's a lot of things about cars that get very different when temperatures drop below freezing. And, you know, I'm not sure what the temperature is in Boston right now, but uh, here in Detroit area, it's a, it's about uh, just about zero right now. It's um, yeah, it, it's been very frigid. It was in the 20s today, so it actually wasn't too bad. Um, it's dropping. It's going to be real frigid again over the next few days. So cars don't like that. Yeah, you know, um, and. You know, one of one of the most important things to keep in mind when it gets this cold is your tires. Um, you know, even if you're driving on you know so-called all-season tires, the, um, rubber you know the rubber compounds uh, their properties change quite a bit as temperature changes. You know, I mean, if you if you've ever watched uh, racing, you know, you, you've you've seen you know when they come out of caution, you know, when they're getting ready to come out of caution periods, the race cars are swerving back and forth because the drivers are trying to keep their tires warm. You know, when they when they when their racing tires are warm, you know, they have better traction. But you know, when they when tires get really cold, they their traction can degrade very rapidly. Um, so even if you haven't been hit by snow. Um, you need to be really careful, even if you're just having a cold snap. Uh, you know, once it, once the temperature drops below about 40 degrees, 
um, even all season tires um, lose a lot of their traction. So you've got to be, you've got to take that into account when you're looking at things like stopping distances and how fast you're going around corners. Um, and you know, there's a, there's a lot of things to, to, a lot of important things to keep in mind for safety. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that people always say, I hear this is, you know, cause they'll complain about it or they'll, you know, we'll talk about, what their next car is and they say well it's got to have all-wheel drive and it's like no you should really consider getting yourself a set of snow tires or winter tires um i guess i say winter tires because they, they work better even when it's not snowy like you said the compounds are different um right. they're, they're specifically formulated for cold temperatures so yeah. they stay pliable because you know all season tires or summer tires when it gets when it gets cold the the rubber gets a lot harder and stiffer and you know it that you lose that pliability and you, you start to lose your traction yeah. And that's, you know, the, the thing that people say is like, well, I've got all season tires. And I really like, I think that's something that's been foisted upon the public is like, um, it, like a convenience that's actually a, a safety detriment uh, because you have this false sense of security that the tires can handle any conditions and some are better than others. Like I was talking about the tires on, on the, the challenger GT that it, it does. Okay. That so whoever picked those <laughs> did a pretty good job. Um, but it would be that much better, even on a set of cheap winter tires, like, um, some of the most inexpensive winter tires you can get are like the, the, uh, good year. I'm mean, not good year. The firestone, um, winter force. Uh, they've been around forever. They're not quite a blizzak, but they're still a good winter tire and it makes the car into an absolute tank. So a two wheel drive car is really good, even if it's front wheel or rear wheel on proper winter tires. And the other thing that people who don't drive in the snow or don't drive a lot in the snow need to get comfortable with is is slippage will occur and you have to be okay with that sort of traction loss and understanding physics and how not to, to overcook it. And I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, we sit here in our, our frozen Northern kingdoms sort of pointing and laughing <laughs> at people in the South because Florida got snow the other day. The biggest problem there, anytime you get sort of further South where they don't normally get snow, it's not so much the snow that that danger passes pretty quickly, but you get those freeze cycles and ice is a much bigger problem there. And there's like ice, even here, if you have a big ice storm, you, you should just watch out. Like there's not much you can do for ice and especially people there it just paralyzes the town for, they don't have the equipment to deal with. They don't have sanders and ice is nasty, especially there. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, when, when you're not used to driving on ice, um, you know, that it's particularly dangerous. Um, and you know, the, the other thing, you know, certainly in, in the Northern States, um, you know, at winter time, uh, you know, we, they put uh, salt and sand on the roads, you know, to try to uh, melt some of that snow and ice and that creates its own problems, uh, you know, particularly with in terms of visibility. So, you know, uh, you know, things like, you know, if you this time of year, you know, if you drive around for 10 minutes, um, you're going to your headlights, for example, are going to get covered with salt spray. You know, and as that dries, you know, you get a, a crusting of salt on your lights and all of a sudden you can't see and you can't be seen. And that's that's a real issue. Um, so, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, from time to time you, you know, keep some rags, you know, keep some paper, keep a roll of paper towels in your car in the wintertime. You know, and when you stop the car, you know, or before, you know, before you go somewhere, you know, just grab a paper towel and just wipe that salt off the headlights so yeah. you can see. 
and you know uh all the things that you take for granted become critical Ooh, windshield wiper blades um you and know washer fluid right washer I, you go i'll go through a gallon of washer fluid easy in a, yeah. in a storm um the the flip side is if you can handle it it becomes really nice to be on the road in a crappy storm because speeds are you know, you're, you're being careful. So you just you get this opportunity to sort of you, you have a challenge. So you get something to concentrate on. You can you can settle into the the challenge and, and give yourself something to do. It's not like a boring commute. And there's not too many people on the road because you're the only idiot who would be stupid <laughs> enough to be out there. Uh, so traffic's usually not that bad um, unless it's snarled and then you're, you're screwed. Uh but so I, I, I don't know. There's this sense of solitude <laughs> driving in a storm. And my grandfather used to do it, too. I remember my, my oh, parents I, I did about it for it, many but. years. You know, I, I, I used to have you know, commutes all the time. And, you know, driving home or driving to work in, in snowstorms, you know, was something I got used to. Yeah. Um, one, you know, one, one other thing to keep in mind as well um, is even if you have all-wheel drive, you know, if you've got, uh, got one of your fancy SUVs or crossovers with all-wheel drive or four-wheel drive, you know, It'll it'll let you go faster, but you know all that really means is that when you do inevitably go off the road, you're going to go farther off the road. (laughs) You're just going to get your stuff. You're going to get your stuff. You get yourself stuck much harder than you would in a two wheel drive vehicle. Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for you don't have winter tires. Right. I was going to say there's something to be said for for all season tires, open differentials, and two wheel drive. Uh, at least they they kind of neutralize the people who need neutralizing. <laughs> yeah, they they get stuck and get out of the way quickly, and then you can move on. You can keep heading down the road. So once we get this the kind of wetware out of the issue, though, once we actually make winter driving a hardware software lines of code thing, uh, how does that change the the situation? Like, what does mobility do when it's like mobility as a service? And we have a, a storm. I know they're they're working on it. Obviously, one of the things everybody likes to point at is like, oh, well, how's that automated car going to work in the snow? I, they'll figure it out. But well, I, the, the re- eventually they will. But for for right now, most of them pretty much don't work in the snow. Um, and and one of the things that I I learned you know early on working on ABS systems in the early nineties was um, that uh, you know physics will always win. Um, you know, Newton, <laughs> the first law of ABS is that Newton was right. <laughs> um, I mean, if, unless if you, you're unless it's a Volkswagen and then it's quantum physics. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, <laughs> Jesus, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, if you if you don't have friction between the tire and the road, you know, there's there's nothing that's going to help you. And, you know, that goes for whether it's a computer doing the driving or, um, you know, or a human. Um, so, you know, autonomous vehicles are going to have to drive a lot slower. And, you know, one of one of the reasons, you know, why, you know, you're probably actually not going to be able to buy autonomous vehicles for probably for quite a while is because, you know, the, the manufacturers need to make sure that the, the sensors can stay clean. You know, so that means you, you can't have these vehicles out running around, you know, without, you know, with an empty tank of washer fluid to keep those sensors clean. Um, you know, you need, you need to have uh, really good high def maps so that the, um, of the surroundings so that the, the car can figure out where it is. You know, even when it can't see the road, you know, it can look at the landmarks and triangulate off of, um, you know, buildings and street, you know, and overpasses and trees and whatever else might be out there. Um, so, you know, it's it's going to be a challenge for quite a while. 
Yeah, and the thing that I think is probably the the biggest consideration is all the chatter about sort of building your your infrastructure around uh, mobility and automated driving. You know, using it to replace. Um, you know, using it as sort of transportation mode in, in cities and stuff and that urban core. Yeah. That, that works in, in a place like, you know, Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Not going to work so well for a variety of reasons in places like Manhattan, um, that are going to just see that variable, variable weather. So. Yeah. Or, or, or Boston, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll be very curious. Um, I'm, I'm heading out to, uh, to Vegas in a few days for CES and on Sunday afternoon um, I'll be meeting up with the the team from Aptive, uh, formerly Delphi, and they recently purchased uh, Newtonomy um, and um, you know, Newtonomy and, and now Aptive has a partnership with Lyft and I guess they, they started running some of their, some of their autonomous vehicles in Boston a couple of months ago. And I'll be curious to, to see if, the, you know, if they've been running them at all, you know, over this past week or in this winter weather and to see what kind of results they've been getting. Um, have you ever seen one, one of those cars on the road around Boston? I haven't personally, but I'm not uh, necessarily on that side of town. I'm a little, okay. I'm a little out in the suburbs. They're, they're running them in the, like um, the Marine park and they got clearance to actually bring them out of there um, into, I think the, the innovation district, I think. So, um, is that is that the part of town that's uh, underwater was, right now? I was gonna say, um, I, you should ask them if any of their cars flooded, because uh, yeah. <laughs> we've got waves that look like Slurpees, and um, you know some some towns that uh, got a pretty big uh, storm surge today. My, my 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 guess is those those things have probably been parked for the last week or so. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, and, and in fact, actually, one of the things that. Uh, um, they're, they're actually, they're, they're probably all in Vegas, uh, because one of the things that they announced the other day, um, is that, uh, Aptiv and Lyft are going to be, um, giving, uh, r- rides, you know, so if you're, if you're a Lyft user, uh, and you're using the Lyft app, you know, looking for a ride in Vegas this week during CES, um, there's a, a chance you may be able to get a ride to your destination in one of Aptiv's, uh, autonomous cars. Um, so you may, you know, a bu- whole bunch of people are going to get an opportunity to ride in those things, you know, getting around up and down the strip, um, all this week. And so, uh, I'll, I'll see what I can find out. Uh, I said, I'm meeting with them on Sunday afternoon and I'll see what they have to say about, uh, their experience operating in Boston. Yeah. Ask them if they need like a, a, a creative director. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> I will, I will ask. <laughs> um, yeah, so you're actually you are going out to CES, and that's uh, you know we'll we'll touch on that more next week too. But I mean, is there anything in particular that you're looking forward to seeing out there? Uh, yeah, certainly. You know, checking out the uh, you know the Aptiv autonomous vehicles. Uh, I've got a whole bunch of meetings scheduled. Uh, going to the Nvidia press conference on Saturday night or Sunday night. Uh, so I'll see what they have to announce. Uh, Intel is going to be making some announcements on Monday night about their autonomous program. Uh, Ford. Uh, Ford CEO Jim Hackett is doing a keynote on uh, Tuesday morning, and I'm having dinner with some some people from Ford on Monday night, um, and. Uh, I've got a little preview today of some of the stuff that they're going to be talking about, and we'll discuss that next week. Um, some interesting things going on there. Um, 
What else? Uh, talking. To, oh, oh, I've 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 got a meeting scheduled with uh, Chris Ermson, uh, the CEO of Aurora, and uh, former head of the Google self-driving program. So, be interesting to see what he's got to say, and we'll try and get that into the show next week. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see see what else I can come up with. Uh, there's lots of interesting stuff going on there. Yeah, uh, well, that's oh. that's an enormous show. Oh yeah, I mean, I uh, I wish you know I. You know, uh, for Harry Potter fans out there, you know, uh, <laughs> at one point in the in the series, uh, they uh, they had this device called a time turner that let you uh, turn back time, uh, I think, in 30 or 60 minute increments. And one of the characters was using that to attend three different classes at the same time. Right. Kind uh, of. I kind of wish I had one of those at CES because I've got right now my schedule is completely booked solid for my entire time there. And I still got, you know a bunch of meetings that I'd like to be able to squeeze in somewhere and just have no, literally have no time for. Um, so, you know, there'll be lots of interesting conversations next week. Um, but uh, one of one of the things that's going to be shown at CES on Monday is uh, Hyundai at their press conference will be showing off their new fuel cell crossover, hydrogen fuel cell crossover. And today, both Hyundai and Volkswagen uh, put out press releases announcing that they are both of those companies are actually partnering with Aurora, uh, which is a startup uh, startup. Uh, middle of last year in Palo Alto, uh, their CEO is Chris Ermson, who I just mentioned, uh, and uh, their other co-founder is uh, Sterling Anderson, who was formerly at Tesla. He led the development of the first-generation autopilot system at Tesla before leaving there, and um, uh, they they have been working on developing their own automated driving stack as well as um, a automated ride hailing platform. So they're they're working on both the service side and the um, the hard, hardware and software side. And now they're going to be working with both Volkswagen Group and Hyundai um, on their their systems. And uh, Hyundai announced that they're going to have um, they're going to have an autonomous version of that fuel cell. Uh, crossover um, on the road by 2021 uh, using Aurora's technology. Well, and their goal too is to be level four, right? Um, which yeah. is level four. Nothing is currently level four. Is there anything on the road with level four? Um, there's some low speed shuttles like the Navia Arma shuttles that, you know, they're operating in, you know, in small uh, programs and a in a bunch of cities there, you know, there's a couple of them here in Ann Arbor. Uh, there's one operating in Las Vegas. Uh, there's some in Singapore and a couple cities in France. I think they've got about 30 or so 30 or 40 of them in a variety of cities around the world. Yeah. And you know, so these are low speed shuttles. They go up to about 20 miles an hour. Um, and they're technically level four, you know, they don't, you know, they're, they're designed to operate, you know, without any human intervention. So there's no, you know, there, there's not, you know, there's no steering wheel or pedals in these things. Um, and, you know, if, if they run into a problem, they're designed to just pull over and stop. Um, you know, so they're, they're not capable of operating anywhere and everywhere, uh, which is, that's, that's what a level five vehicle would be. So a level five vehicle, you know, would be able to drive around, you know, during this winter storm uh, on its own without a human. Um, a level four vehicle is designed to operate autonomously within certain specific conditions. And so, you know, there most of the ones, you know, aside from the Navias, pretty much all the other ones that are out there are all, you know, just development vehicles. Um, and, you know, the first ones that we'll see 
kind of in commercial applications, you know, are, you know, coming maybe later this year from Waymo, um, you know, certainly by next year. And, you know, GM has announced that they're going to be deploying uh, some of their autonomous bolts next year in 2019 uh, in commercial service uh, in a few cities. So uh, those will be the first ones to hit the road. And then, you know, we'll see more and more over the next several years. Yeah, we're we're going to be in interesting times in five years. If we're if we're still around, I hope we are. Um, wheel bearings should be very different. Yeah, <laughs> I think, um, and it's just interesting to uh, me too. Has you know, we'll, we'll, I mean, there will still be plenty of human-driven vehicles for oh, a yeah. long time to come. You know, and you know, there there's going to be there's going to be a lot of places where autonomous vehicles just can't work yet for for many years to come. Um, so we'll have plenty to talk about. Look, we're we're going to find ways to talk, no matter. <laughs> Um, it's just very interesting too. In the last, I want to say in the last five or so years, CES has become like, it, it's, you know, the consumer electronics show, but there's now there's sort of like this, this sideline auto show that happens there as well. That was never the case before. Um, it, it really started, <clears throat> start actually, it started the, uh, pretty much, um, the year before I went for the first time that, this this year will actually be the tenth anniversary of my first CES. Uh, I went I went for the first time in two thousand eight when GM went there. Uh, former CEO Rick Wagner did the first keynote by an automaker executive there, and um, they were showing off their autonomous uh, Chevy Tahoe that won the DARPA Urban Challenge uh, the year before, and so that was actually my first ride in an autonomous vehicle was, was 10 years ago. And now they're just starting to get to, you know, we're starting to get close to production applications of this stuff. But, um, the first, uh, the first real appearance by an automaker executive was actually the year before 2007. Uh, when Mark Fields was there, he went on stage with Bill Gates during the Microsoft keynote to announce the first generation of sync um, so yeah, it's, it's really been, you know, the last 10 years where, uh, automakers and suppliers have become much more involved in CES. And, but the thing is, it's different from auto shows because they, they don't generally go there to show off new products that are for sale. You know, they're showing off technologies that they're developing, you know, for future years, for five, 10 years down the road. And the, the stuff that they're going to be selling this year or next year is what they show at the auto shows. Yeah, and it's it's a good way to get people who otherwise wouldn't see it uh, sort of into it. I look forward to all of the G-Wiz coverage of stuff that we already knew about <laughs> from CES. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, because uh, you get the, the more mainstream outlets on it and they're, you know, it, it, it's entertaining to just sort yeah. of see what yeah. they pick up on. Yeah, you know, and and often, you know, they there there's there's a lot of smoke and mirrors at CES, and not just from automakers. I mean, there's you know, there's always been smoke and mirrors from automakers at auto shows as well. Um, but you know, I mean, CES is you know, it, it's it's this weird mix of you know all kinds of products that are real, you know, from a lot of companies, and a lot of stuff that's vaporware. Vaporware? And, you wouldn't yeah. say. Yeah, you know, uh, things like uh, the Faraday FF91. Um, Is Faraday, like, uh, like, are they going to be around? 
Um, I'm frankly surprised that the lights are still on. Supposedly, they've managed to line up uh, you know a bunch of new investment, uh, but they haven't said who, where it's coming from or you know you know apparently paychecks are still you know clearing uh, for employees. Um, they haven't started bouncing yet, but we'll see. Hey, you know uh, what? As long as the checks clear, like that's <laughs> that means that there's still somebody's still pumping money into it to some effect. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's still an optimist. Yeah, well, there's there's plenty of those, and that's you know that's one of the reasons why um, uh, you know why the automakers have been going to CES is you know to uh, because they 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 see. Uh, they're they're trying to reach out to a different audience than the than the media that comes to uh, auto shows. You know, they they've been trying to create the perception of being technology leaders rather than just old line, you know, metal benders. Yeah. And you know, I mean, the part you know part of the reason you know is they're trying to appeal to the stock market, you know, to the financial markets because you know the the financial markets you know don't see any value in companies that actually make physical products. Um, they prefer companies you know, you know that seem to be changing the world. Well, they're you know, idiots. Whether... You know what changes the world? Physical products. True. You know, I mean, you know, it's funny. You know, science science is all about understanding how the world around us works. And technology is about uh, is about, you know, applying that knowledge of how things work to solving real real world problems. And that, I mean, engineering is about applying that that knowledge of how things work to solving real world problems. And that's what companies that make stuff do. They yeah. solve real world problems. Listen, I mean, the real world problem of actual bodegas has been solved. Then now we have a glass case called bodega. And yeah. I, I mean, we're done. We can retire. Uh, <laughs> uh, but no, no, I mean, I, I think it's it's good because automakers are technology leaders. They uh, they they do have an industry that has aged for sure and evolved and changed. But what other industry makes something that complex with that many systems that that many people own? Um, you know, it's usually the this, this sort of second most expensive thing people buy other than their home. Uh, <laughs> um, and it, they, they, they have to make technology that is not only very sophisticated, but also super robust. Like that's, that's really friggin' hard to do. It's not a phone. You know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, a, a car is a vastly more complex device than a phone. And, you know, to, to do that, you know, in the kinds of volumes, you know, a hundred million units a year, and do it as reliably and as safely, you know, I mean, it's sure it's not perfect. You know, I mean, there's, there's lots of problems, but you know, all things considered, you know, they, they do a pretty damn good job of it. Um, and you know, they, they deserve some credit for that. Yeah. I mean, the, the story that we're seeing about the Tesla model three, that's started to, to, you know, hit, um, reviewers is that, you know, the, the car itself, it, it's pretty good, but uh, some of the problems such as assembly quality stampings and, and all those things that other automakers have figured out and they do it at a very high level and we take it for granted are there's they're still dealing with that over at, at Tesla right now. Um, so those 
like, yeah, the tech is one thing, but also the tech to actually make the thing out of the physical material is pretty impressive. I mean, I I wish they would just bring like a body press or something <laughs> to, to CES and just show them, especially something with like a deep draw that has to do like two or three steps to just really get that that sculpting. Like, it's crazy the the way things are manufactured and, and I we all just sort of ignore it. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, totally. You know, and you know, it's it's funny. You know, just yesterday, um, the uh, December sales came out from the automakers, and um, you know, Ford, you know, in their you know their year end results, they sold just shy of nine hundred thousand F series pickup trucks last year. <laughs> yeah, so in one year. That so the F series pickup has been the best selling single model for as long as I've been alive. Yeah, I mean it's been uh, it's been the best selling truck for 41 years, and the best selling vehicle of any type in in the U.S. for I think like 36 or 37 years. Okay, now. so I've got it beat on any type, but it's been the best selling truck as long as I've been alive. Yeah, like, actually longer. Um, that's really impressive, and I, I, some of it's numbers fudging, but because uh, uh, you combine the Sierra and the Silverado and their numbers are often at least very close, if not slightly more. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a lot of damn trucks, man. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty remarkable that they can build anything in that kind of volume as, as much as they do. And, you know, especially, you know, given the, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, to hear you know, Elon Musk talk about production bottlenecks with the, uh, with the model three, you know, and they, you know, they have, very few actual buildable combinations you know their their you know their their supply chain is actually pretty simple and they still can't seem to manage to figure out how to you know put them together with any degree of consistency whereas you know you look at at uh, you know something like full size pickups you know you've got multiple different body styles different bed lengths wheelbase lengths you know you've got regular cab crew cab extended cab you know long bed short bed uh, you know, I know at least as of a, a couple of years ago, you know, Ford had something like 14 million buildable combinations. Yeah. And, you know, they, I mean, they certainly don't build that many, you know, in it, you know, they don't build every single one of those, but the number of possible permutations of all the options, you know, is, you know, it's unbelievable. And they, they managed to get all those parts sequenced and, you know, get them into pretty much the right vehicles every time. Yeah, and, and it, the industry has shifted to just-in-time as well, which is, again, like... Make, makes it even more complex. Right. The parts don't show up until they're needed. Like, that, that's... It's all very impressive. And, and trucks are certainly uh, the area of the, the market where you've got the most combos and most choices. Um, it can make your head spin just to, to, to order up a single truck. There's there's a lot of options. It's not quite the same as, you know, cars or crossovers. Um Whereas it's packaged and there's there's not as much choice. Trucks are pretty flexible to configure. Yeah, well, the, the the market for trucks, you know, the the customers, you know, a lot of a lot of the sales are to commercial customers, right? You know, who often want very specific combinations, you know, for their applications, and you know, those those combinations can vary wildly from one customer to the next, depending on what they need. Yeah, I just you know, where sales numbers are at, we're off a little bit. Um, from last year I'm, I'm just waiting for it to all crash down yeah <laughs> we'll see i wonder what a nine million a year total 
Uh, Fortunately, I don't think we're going to get there, hopefully, anytime soon. Yeah, Uh, I mean, it'll it'll be a a shift. It'll be quite a a readjustment. Yeah. Um, Well, let's let's, like I said, let's just hope we don't get there anytime soon. Um, With that, (laughs) on that positive note. Yeah. Why don't we wrap it up for this week? And, All right. Uh, we'll, we'll, next week, we'll have a whole bunch of actual news to talk about uh, with, with CES and then hit, and some of the stuff that will be coming out uh, just before we hit the Detroit Auto Show. Uh, so we'll talk to you all next week. All right. Have a good night. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.